everyone. Welcome back to another in our adventures of parallel barking. My name is Larry Backer. I'm here with my puppy. Ariana Backer, Bark Park. Woof, woof. Uh, we are going to be talking about family values today and family values uh, in China. Uh, it's uh, it's interesting for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it's going to be interesting because of the way it, it, it provides a very nice window on how the Chinese are approaching issues of gender equality. Uh, and notice we're not talking about transgender and transgender issues, which is something that uh, is at the center of uh, the conversation about gendering in the West. Uh, we are still talking about gender equality uh, from the perspective of two genders, male and female. Right? But we're going to talk about that uh, in the Chinese context. But then we're also going to talk about that uh, in the, the broader context. That is the way that changes like this in China then play out uh, in uh, in foreign uh, press and how the, the the story of changes in China then tend to be uh, used uh, to develop a, a discourse both about China and then to a much lesser extent uh, about gender and gender issues. So um, with that longish introduction, let me just give you a brief uh, summary of what's going on. And then, uh, Ariana, you can give me your opinion. So okay. then we can chat about this a little bit. So there's been a gender equality uh, statute on the uh, or provision on the books for a while, um, for a long while, and it's like all gender equality provisions everywhere uh, in the world. Uh, it it um, the gap between the aspirations and the text of the uh, statute and the reality uh, tends to leave something to be desired, and that's is true in. Uh, the United States and in Western Europe, as it apparently is in China. Well, th uh, this one is extremely detailed. That that is, that is a huge difference than that. There's one big difference I've seen. Well, and that that is actually uh, um, not amazing, but it is actually quite telling. Uh, the Chinese have taken the trouble to uh, enact provisions uh, that appear, in some respects, to be far more detailed and far broader in scope than anything that you could find uh, in the West, and and that is kind of interesting. But even with that, uh, and like in the West, the um, there's been some grumbling about the the space between the aspirations of the text uh, and the way it's applied, both the way in which it tends not to be applied uniformly across. The vastness of uh, of the Chinese territory in, in its provinces and in localities, but also uh, between the aspirational nature of a lot of the provisions and the the reality about what uh, the state is actually willing to make significant progress on. But anyway, so it's decades old. There's a lot in it, uh, but recently there was a report out uh, and the text of the revised statute. Uh, that caught the and and let me back up a second. And of course, uh, most of this stuff tends to be very parochial. Uh, Western press organs and and even regional press uh, tends to be 
uh, not particularly focused on this issue of, uh, of Chinese uh, legal and social life. But this one has caught the attention of the press, including the Western press. Uh, and because and, and it has because of one particular provision. So and, and that's what I'm going to talk about. So uh, the National People's Congress, which is uh, the legislative body in, in China, passed an amendment to this decades old Women's Rights and Interest Protection Act. Uh, and one of the provisions were meant to ensure that uh, the open one of the opening chapters, which summarizes the principles of the revised legislation, notes that, and I quote, this is the English translation, women should respect and obey national laws, respect social morals, professional ethics, and family values. Now, the last part, which is the, the part that raised eyebrows before we talk about the obligation of women to respect family values. Uh, the, the the word could mean either family values, which is a triggering word, certainly in English, but it can also mean family virtues, which might also be triggering, but it's not part of the, it's not the language that's used, the triggering language that's used in, in Western discourse about uh, the role of women uh, and their, their place in the family. So that's what caught everyone's attention. It was reported uh, by uh, Bloomsburg, and then it was picked up by the more popularizing uh, press organs, including Yahoo, and it's been making the rounds. Uh, and so what's your reaction? So women... <laughs> so women of course, it, it, it garnered attention. It's... Um very provocative for Western sensibilities to declare something in a uh, in a state document that women definitively need that that they have a definitive role in society to define their role um and what what was one of the things that was interesting to me was and is that there's no equal and opposite definition for men to fill um so what what social morals professional ethics and what what values are men um expected to fill where's that um, I know that they probably don't need a Men's Rights and Interest Protection Act, but um, in a different way, we might need to see uh, a definition of their role in society if this is defining women's role um, to maybe protect them in some ways. Um, it could also do the opposite. Um, and I also think, I also think it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, my first thought when I read this was, I wonder how many women are in China's top legislative body. And I think maybe it's one. Well, and there, there was a comment about that. Uh, and after the 20th party Congress, uh, uh, eyebrows were also raised about the gender diversity of the standing committee. Uh, as well as the Politburo. Uh, and that was a, it's a, not a subject of discussion, but uh, certainly one just needs to look at the pictures uh, to note the um, the lack of breadth of, uh, of gender representation at the, the highest levels. But that's a, a different podcast. 
uh, although one that that people should take note of, I, I suppose. But the, the you you really hone in on exactly the 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 gist of this, uh, and that is both the ambiguity and the way in which we invest the word family virtues or family values with meaning. Uh, almost invariably, when virtually anyone on earth hears the words family virtues or family values, you immediately think of it as divided along gender lines, mm -hmm. right? That family values is a, a proxy for uh, a gender division of roles in a family and a tying of um, the roles of both men and women. And note, it's men and women, not uh, any other genders, men and women within a foundational unit, which tends to be the operative unit, which is uh, the family. Now, for most traditionalists around the world, um, hearing that would be uh, absolutely inoffensive, that for most traditionalists, wherever they are, uh, is, and certainly in developing countries, uh, among traditional communities uh, and the like, the, these notions are are essentially self-evident. The problem here, and 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 of course, the difficulty of this is equally obvious to people who are now not traditionalists and want to move beyond. But but the question that's really raised, uh, and and it makes this embedded in this very long statute much more interesting, is what do we mean by these terms, especially the term family uh, values or family virtues. Yeah, you have well... to have a definition or agreement or an understanding of what what the yeah. phrases mean and or how someone is supposed to live these values out. It, it wasn't really clear to me. Right. And and what makes it really ambiguous is when you go through the rest of the text of the statute, there's lots of language in it that might be used to suggest that when we're talking about family values, we can as easily be talking about equal roles in the maintenance yes. uh, and, the, and division of family roles. And so it would be ultra progressive uh, at the same time. Right, right. At the same time, it could mean that um, it's supposed to that women's equality is grounded in gender differentiation and what you're protected is in your role within gender differentiated uh, uh, responsibilities in a family. We're just not sure. But, but what is that role? And nobody knows because it's- Right, right, right. And, and, and nobody knows. Now, there are a couple of things that make this even more interesting. So uh, at the time that this thing was announced, uh, one of the uh, spokesperson for the National People's Congress uh, and this is an important, it's, it, it tends to be overlooked in the West, but it, it is critically important in China, and especially after the 20th uh, Congress of the, the Chinese Communist Party. And that is over the course of the last 10 or 15 years, especially, China has been trying to revisit its legal, moral, social system uh, in order to make it more contextually Chinese, that is, to make it align better with the historical and national context of China, but also, and probably more important, to align with what they view as socialist rather than liberal democratic sensibilities. A non-Western, so, right? Right, right. Well, not just non-Western, non-Chinese. 
Uh, so we're not just talking about the West. Everyone always said, well, it's got to be the West because that's where people are drawing a lot of stuff. But it's not really, it's, there's an element of that, but it's more like, well, this is who we are. Uh, and who we are is not just social and cultural, but it's also political, i.e. socialist to communist. I, this the, the country is, uh, the political authority of the country is vested in a communist party with a core responsibility to move social factors towards the establishment of a communist society, which by definition is different than than um, than a liberal democratic society, which is meant to be more traditional uh, and more protective of traditions and customs and uh, uh, whatever they may be from time to time. And so uh, the, the the representative uh, was quoted as saying, that uh, it is the the statute was written uh, deliberately or quite consciously so that it wouldn't copy measures in the Western system, right? And that goes along with a number of other measures uh, that that are already uh, being worked on or which have already been enacted. The purpose of which is to develop a socialist sensibility. Now, in this case, we don't really know what it means. Does it mean that what the Chinese are doing is rejecting the move in the West towards uh, an open textured meaning of gender so that what they're doing is implicitly rejecting our movement towards uh, transgender issues? Uh, does it mean that it's revamping the roles and expectations between men and women? We just don't know. But what we know is that they, they're conscious of the fact that whatever it is that they're doing, it's not going to mimic whatever's right. going on just wants in, i mean different chinese sensibilities i think right what and, and chinese socialist sensibilities right. right right which both reflects the culture but also reflects uh the politics uh but in a, a statutory provisions in which is just full of notions of equality now again like family values or family virtues what does equality mean it can mean equality without reference to gender or sex, or it can mean equality as a function of gendered roles. That is your equality. Yeah, equality as a function from the perspective of whoever is writing. Well, whatever your gender, yeah, well, whatever, no, whatever, whatever your gender is, because there may be gendered expectations. Right, uh, whatever your expectation in, in, is. Right, right. In, in some places, but there may not be. So, for example, there may not be gendered expectations when two people are vying for an office job. Uh, there may not be gendered expectations when two people are looking to drive a truck, but there may be gendered expectations when you're looking at, I don't know, divorce. I don't know. And and that's that's the issue. We don't we we kind of know, but it's not in the text. It's in the practice that that we've already seen. But now we add this. The the last little point is that there's been something else. It, it initially kind of mocked uh, and viewed, at least from from outside the country, as oh, it, it's not really all that important. But has become critically important over the last five or six years in China, and that is the notion that. Uh, socialism, un unlike in the West that views this as economic systems, that socialism is a moral, social, and cultural and political, as well as an economic thing. Uh, and in the process, uh, they developed what uh, in some quarters has been um, uh, not not treated with uh, a significant amount of, of uh, value, but among 
uh, at least officially in China, which has a, a, a tremendous amount of of uh, to which a tremendous amount of attention has been paid. And then that is a development of the 12 core socialist values. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, after what I mean, and I'm surprised we haven't mentioned this yet. Um, you always tell me to read your blog and we should. Everybody, everybody who listens to this podcast should be reading your blog. Um, when I was reading your blog, it's. I mean, you keep on talking about how this was um, written um with the 12 core socialist values in mind um and the application of the 12 core socialist values but i'm not very privy to what those those are i'm glad you asked so i will tell you what the 12 <laughs> core socialist values are we didn't set this up people we didn't set this up but it worked really well it worked, right. it did. so here are the 12 core socialist values uh and these are national values um and again before I start, when we look at values, we think about it in Western or developing state, in liberal democratic states, the word values will likely have a different set of focal or foundational points and characteristics, which may not align entirely with the way the word values is used in a Marxist-Leninist state like China. So with that as a caveat, let me tell you what the 12 uh, core socialist values are prosperity, democracy, civility, harmony, not just social harmony, but harmony in all of its tenses, um, freedom, equality, justice, rule of law, and individual values of patriotism, dedication, integrity, and friendship. And so you've got uh, and these are generally viewed as divided into categories. So you've got national core socialist values, and that's prosperity, democracy, civility, and harmony. And the harmony goes towards a uh, one of the one of the uh, emerge or evolving principles of Chinese Leninism that was brought in during the leadership of Hu Jintao uh, in the second decade of the 21st century, which is harmonious society rules. And you have to be a Marxist-Leninist scholar to, to or Marxist-Leninist to understand it, but just uh, it it is what it kind of sounds like. You've got social values, which is grouped within which is group freedom, equality, justice, and rule of law. And then the individual values are patriotism, dedication, integrity, and friendship. So those are the values. And then you ask yourself, well, if these are the core socialist values and they guide uh, the gender uh, statutes, then how do they apply? Well, it's not clear. Because yeah, I mean, those are really broad. Those are those are really broad. They've been, uh, they've been um, filled in right? And they've been amplified in a number of other writings, but but that's essentially it. And so you're looking at this and you're going, well, okay, uh, equality, freedom, equality, justice, uh, civility, democracy, harmony can cut in all kinds of directions. Uh, how helpful are they? And the answer has to be, they'll be helpful through the guidance of the meaning and application of these principles individually and and in clusters and as a whole, uh, as these are pronounced by the the 
the core of leadership of the Chinese Communist Party. And All right, should, that's what uh, I was waiting for. There you go. And we should expect to see and we should expect to see more. Uh, but for the moment, we understand that uh, you've got to be able to connect uh, what you wind up reading in the gender provisions at some point with these core values. And by doing that, you're also doing something very interesting. And that is you necessarily have to connect the interpretive process of the statute, which is what we tend to do. That's all we tend to do in liberal democracy. But here you have to connect that to the guidance that you receive from the Communist Party with respect to the core values within which this is embedded. And so there's this iterative process that may help uh, alleviate the ambiguity, right? But but when do um, we see that? When do we see that? Well, that that's always the question, uh, and it's it's not clear. Uh, probably at at some point uh, there's there's been some guidance, and again, we have to distinguish between the act that has been in in place for a long time and the amendments. And here, the amendment would be on family values, so we we need to wait to see what not the National People's Congress, but what the Chinese Communist Party has to say about family values in the context of the gender statute as against the um, the 12 core uh, socialist values. That's, that's what makes this uh, uh, interesting. Uh, and, you know, again, to, to, to make this even more interesting, when you read all of this, including family values, you note that the, uh, the gender provision also includes provisions about equality of uh, females uh, within the recruitment process and the life of the Communist Party itself, mm -hmm. uh, and, and which went to your initial comment. And so there's, there's a lot going on here, um, only part of which uh, is is um, is is covered by the the family values or family virtues thing. On the other hand, uh, what what that has managed to do, at least in the West, is to use this as a way of criticizing uh, the Chinese position directly or indirectly, uh, not in its own right, uh, with respect to which it may be subject to, and quite rightly, with internal criticism. But here, the, the criticism would go along the lines that the Chinese are not following what appears to be an emerging consensus uh, position. Well, come on. Of course, they're going to use that opportunity before understanding. Um... Exactly right. But but the thing is, it's easy for you to say, uh, but you're sitting and reading Yahoo News or, or uh, Bloomberg, and that may not cross your mind and what you wind up hearing in your head Um uh, whether you're liberal or progressive or conservative, is that, aha, look at this, uh, the, the Chinese either sound like uh, very, very conservative religious people, or they sound like they're uh, rolling women's rights back to the 18th century. And yeah, so well, I don't want to hear about that. Terms. I don't want to hear, but we, I mean, America's got nothing to say about that right now. Got nothing to say about that right now. I, although that is a subject for another podcast, I am not going to push back on that one right now, uh, because we are in, and and for the, the podcast in which we talk about this, uh, and it's being pushed both from the left, and it's pushed from the right, and women are kind of in the middle, and assuming that we can talk about women, 
uh, in leading Western uh, liberal democratic states, but that's a subject of another podcast. Uh, so, so there you have it. We've got um, we've got women's rights being protected, and and to some extent under the old statute protected in uh, at least on paper in fairly significant ways. Uh, yeah. But now we have but now we have uh, a new set of expectations um, that. Uh, that suggests, well, maybe we have to understand this as a function of not only law, uh, but as a function of um, um, family values, uh, professional ethics, and respect for social morals, whatever yeah. these things are. And they all require definition. I'll be, yes, I'll be interested to see how this actually pans out and what, what the what the role if if the role of the woman and the man actually is is defined and if if people actually get guidance at all um i and it is surprising to me that china is the first uh well is is before uh, the United States actually put something in writing uh, to protect women um, specifically and so um, pinpointedly, like very narrowing, um, narrowing it down. Um, right. And and in that context, of course, I mean, there's some articles that have been in there a while, but it's it's worth pointing out. That even though we're talking about family virtues, we do have, for example, Article 21, when a medical institution performs reproductive surgery, special examination or special treatment, the consent of the woman shall be obtained when a woman disagrees with her family members or related purpose or related persons, the will of the woman shall be respected. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I also read that. I, right. I also read that. Right, we we would hope so, but there. I mean, I, I I'm glad that that was written, but the fact that it has to be written is 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 a fact. I guess it's just. Well, but it's a fact in this country as well. It, it is. I mean, I'm wondering if why why haven't we done this? I guess we have to. We we should probably think about doing some things. Well, we should probably think about a lot of things, but yeah. So it's in in the shadow of that now. Of course, there are tensions. Right. So as, as I mentioned before, the, the statute is full of provisions about equality, um, including equality. And I mentioned this, this is uh, Article 15 on the selection and training of female cadres in the Communist Party. Well, and um, these provisions all over the place that absolutely guarantee equality between men and women and especially in the workplace. Now, uh, the tension that will likely have to be resolved is what happens if the uh, obligations of women with respect to family virtues effectively makes it impossible to treat men and women alike, either in the selection and training of cadres in the Communist Party or in jobs. At that point, you've got a tension that appears well, to be- Well, that's why I'm very interested to see how this discrimination clause, for instance, will work when they're talking about, you know, um, encouraging women to have self-esteem, self-confidence, and self-improvement 
to safeguard their legitimate rights and interests. Well, what are their legitimate rights? I mean, do do they legitimately get to uh, pursue careers? Right. And and that would be that's what makes it interesting, because at that point, now you're using the word uh, equality elastically. That is that you have equality, but equality is itself a function of the uh, the differentiated gender roles. That's exactly. The, so but we're not sure. Very we're not, important. Right. Yeah, right. I want to know more. I want to know more. Right, right. And and in fact, you know, to some extent, though, uh, unlike many liberal democratic countries, uh, this legislation actually makes the issues fairly clear. Right, uh, and that's whether what we're going to have saying. a resolution, right? Whether and we're it puts them on the table at least. Right, it puts them on the table, and and that that is something. Uh, in many respects that we have yet to get to that place uh, in advanced liberal democratic states uh, because the the discussion is uh, tends to be uh, forbidden in a sense, effectively or not effectively, uh, either because we don't like talking about this or because uh, the language of the discourse is now shifted away from a discussion of gender equality to a discussion about the construction of gender itself. Uh, and so to some extent, we're sidetracked because we've got another set of issues, one that uh, the Chinese seems to have, the Chinese seem to have, at least for the moment, ex implicitly avoided. Um, but at the same time, it leaves us open to the issue of equality in ways that we, we can't construct because uh, we we have a we've tended to be able to avoid the discussion of the fundamental issues and instead distract ourselves uh, by um, symptomatic issues, which then tend to take center stage, which is a pity. Um, but yeah, so so there it is. It'll be it'll be really interesting to see uh, how all of this uh, actually works out. One last point, and and then I'm I'm done. Although. Um, for those of you who are interested, uh, I provided an English translation of the Gender Act on my blog. Uh, this would be the the post that was uh, put up on uh, on oh what day on November fifth. And what uh, is your blog? How what what is it? We have to give it to people. It's LC Law at the end of the day. Yeah. It is, uh, lcbackerblog.blogspot.com and you Thank have you. and you have access to uh all of these write us if if you want to get a link uh but the last little point is that um given everything we've said it seems that the chinese actually have a technique where they can make good on this if they have the courage to actually do this uh, and that is to use their social credit, that is their data-driven or quantitative methods um, projects, which they have been developing in uh, to a serious extent since 2014, to actually measure uh, what they mean and to make an assessment of how all of this works. Oh, that's uh, a good point. They could actually decide how they want to define the roles based on how people are acting right or the or the right or measurable results mm. uh, and they'd be able to measure uh if they wanted to devote resources and attention to this uh analyze it and then make judgments that is to punish or reward institutions uh for their 
failure or their ability to meet the objectives of the statute. Uh, and to some extent, that would also provide women with the opportunity collectively, since there's another provision in here that speaks about the uh, the power of women's collectives to sit and engage with this act and mm -hmm. its implementation. It would give women's collectives uh, an ability to then intervene through uh, principles of Chinese consultative democracy uh, to intervene and to get the, the state to... Or yeah, the, they would have the tools to do so. Right, because you're really not talking about here uh, challenging uh, guidance from the Communist Party. What you're actually doing is facilitating the work of, of the, the party, party by ensuring mm -hmm. that its uh, its policy objectives are actually met. Right, right? You're, and, yeah, and you're so in, to that way, those, those objectives. Right. right, and in that way, this sort of Leninist system would then be working in a positive it's way. Self-fulfilling. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but but again, there the the point of all of that is is to suggest that while we also in in uh, advance with uh, liberal democratic states have ways in which we can uh, advance the the law, and we tend to use uh, either uh, elective politics or judicial proceedings, uh, that there is a method which is. Uh, which fits within the political context of China uh, for doing this as well. Uh, can you do it as well as you can do it in the West? Is the process refined? Do they still have to work on it? The answer is yes, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist uh, or that uh, the possibility of its expansion is is uh, is not plausible. So that's all I got to say. Uh, check it out for yourselves, see what you think, and we welcome further engagement. Woof, yeah. woof. Bark, bark. Keep, stay tuned for updates on what's happening. See you next time, everyone.